You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the uh, Amputee Podcast, <laughs> Nine Finger Chronicles. Uh, sorry about no episodes last week, man. I was traveling for work. Uh, I went to the Professional Outdoor Media Association conference, and uh, it was a pretty cool conference. Met uh, a lot of new and interesting people. Uh, met uh, somebody in a in a in a demographic that I'm not typically used to and it was a lot of firearm heavy uh, people and that's something that as a bow hunter have as a self-admitted like that's my label that I give myself right uh, as a bow hunter I, I I don't know shit about guns right I've never killed a deer with a rifle I think I've killed one doe with a shotgun and everything else I've killed has been with a bow so I'm not a gun guy. I don't know anything about ammunition or, um, you know, calibers or magnums or whatever the hell those terms are, right? So it was interesting going to this uh, conference and learning a little bit about that. Um, you know, new people, um, same, you know, a lot of those guys have a same passion for the outdoors. And it was cool to uh, meet some of those guys. Uh, but I do apologize for not getting any podcasts out last week, but I will tell you this, I'm making it up for you today. We, I have a really good episode for you today. We're going to be talking to returning guest T.W. Norman, and uh, this dude slayed this year. I think he hunted three different states or two different states. Uh, he, you'll find out in the podcast, but uh, he slammed some studs this year and he attributes it all to placement and timing basically putting yourself in the right position at the right time and he kind of breaks all of that down for us today placement and timing that's why the uh, title of this episode is called 
placement and timing. So um, it's just a really good episode. We talk about time of year. We talk about when to go hunting. You know, not only the when as far as the time of year, but time of day and all the information that we gather throughout uh, the year or the season or the week to put us into the right position to, uh, I don't connect with, you know, mature, badass deer. So that's what today's episode is about. Uh, what else do I want to say? Dude, if you, on Wednesday of this week, I am kicking off a brand new podcast in, uh, I guess, in association with the National Deer Association. So a couple of weeks ago, I went down to North Carolina with um, Hank Forrester and Matt Ross of the National Deer Association. And we, we recorded like an 18 or I don't even know if it was 15 or 18 episode podcast series called How to Hunt Deer. Now, for many of you who listen to this show on a regular basis, it's a basic podcast. So you, I'm going to say you should listen to it, but I also think you need to share it. Now, I don't ever ask you to go out and share my stuff. I don't, you know, I don't ask that a lot, but I think this podcast that the how to hunt deer podcast it's very basic in nature perfect for somebody who is interested in becoming a deer hunter and we cover everything from rules and regulations to where to hunt right for someone like myself i know where to hunt in the woods right but for someone who is brand new to hunting these types of conversations may seem uh like foreign to them right and uh, so I think all of us if we know somebody who is interested in becoming a deer hunt hunter we can share this podcast with them and there will be more information on the social networks uh, I've already uh, made a post on Facebook and Instagram about it so stay tuned more information to come and just share this on your platforms as well I would appreciate that other than that, what do we got today for commercials? Uh, oh man, I'm unorganized as always. We have TikTok, TikTok, Ozonics, Lone Wolf, and Exodus trail cameras. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with Exodus because I'm about to do some Exodus type stuff, right? It's that time of year for me when I'm gonna say within the next two weeks, probably not this week because my daughter's at camp, but the week after. Uh, I'm going to be, we're going to be back into somewhat of a routine. And that means I'm going to be able to go out and start hanging trail cameras, right? I'm going to start that summer Intel, uh, you know, casting that wide net per se, and uh, just collecting data of what deer are in the area, right? And Exodus trail ca cameras help me do that. Now, what do I like about Exodus trail cameras? I've been using them, I, I think, so this is year six for them. So somewhere around 2014 or 2013 is when these guys popped up. I met these guys a long time ago and I still have the trail camera running perfectly, a six-year-old, if not more, trail camera running perfectly that they gave me a lot, you know, all those years ago and it's working great, right? And I have this huge read about what I'm supposed to read here, uh, but I'm just gonna tell you this. Exodus trail cameras, when you put them in the woods, they, number one, are built to last, right? They have this, I, I believe it is a, a five-year warranty. So uh, if your trail camera breaks within a five-year period, I believe you can 
you know, you call them up and they're going to hook you up with a deal on a new trail camera, right? So there's that. But with that said, these trail cameras are built to last anyway. So I think all but one trail camera that I've gotten from these guys works. And I don't mean just works. I mean, works flawlessly. I think the other one was probably my fault. I think I got it, uh, I got it wet and I didn't like dry it out. So that's my fault. But their cameras are badass. You turn it on, you walk away, and I am confident that it's collecting trail camera pictures, right? So they have the Lift, which is uh, one of the Lift 2. It's their second generation of their Lift trail cameras. Badass trail camera. Uh, you know, they, it has the LCD screen. It has, you know, some awesome functionality. They have the Trek, which is a lower price point no lcd screen but it takes excellent pictures excellent trigger speed and i'm confident with that trail camera as well and then they have their uh two i guess you would call them their newer products the exodus render which is their cell cam and i think the fastest i ever got a a cam a picture sent to my phone off of the cell cam was like 12 seconds from the time the picture on the you know on the picture came uh the the timestamp read to the time I opened it up, it dinged on my phone, I opened it up, 12 seconds. That's fast as shit. And uh, that gives you the, the most updated data, I guess, from the timber at, that, as possible. And on top of that, they have a, uh, a solar panel that can connect to any one of their trail cameras. You leave it in the sun, so it gets the sunlight, and the batteries never die right the the cell or the the solar panel charges the camera and the trail camera just keeps going so you can leave it out longer it collects more data thus giving you the information you need to put yourself on a, a big buck so uh huge shout out exodusoutdoorgear.com go check out all their trail cameras all right next we got lone wolf tree stands i dude <laughs> like you I, I it comes to a point during these commercials where i've i've said almost everything i need to say the assault and four sticks are my run and gun setup. I have one, two, three. This year I'll have four. I think I'll have four alphas. Those are the bigger platforms. I put those up in my historically good rut spots. You know, a big travel corridor, a pinch point, um, downwind of a major bedding area that always gets rut action. Those, those are going to be up by the time the season starts and then the assault and my four sticks are my running gun setup uh, i don't do a lot of mods to my equipment but uh it's made they're made in america they're quiet they're durable they're strong as shit and it's like a second appendage or a fifth or sixth or whatever you want to call it appendage. it's like it's like another arm to me i feel so confident getting up hunting tearing down and repeating that process throughout the entire season uh so lone wolf uh tree stands go check them out and if you want to save 50 dollars off of your purchase enter the discount code i better make sure i say this right this time because last week i think i said it wrong and uh some guy called me out on it and uh oh geez unprepared again oh here it is all right so lone wolf 9FC21, 9FC21, and you're going to be able to save $50 off all orders over $200. So if you buy, let's say, an assault platform, I think they're just right under that $250 mark or somewhere like that, under that. Uh, you're saving $50. That's uh, like 18% 
or somewhere around an 18% discount. So uh, that's pretty good, right? Off retail and uh, that's shipped to you. So uh, take advantage of uh, that discount code 9FC20 or 21, 9FC21, 9FC21. Uh, yeah, so that's going to save you $50 off all, all orders over $200. And then Ozonics, right? The functionality of an Ozonics is crazy right i mean it puts uh ozone in the air and it is uh it it just distorts your scent profile this is what i'll say it distorts your scent profile so as the wind blows down you know whatever away from you whatever whatever you're smelling like it distorts it so it makes it seem whether it is, you know, distorted and the deer can't really understand what it is or it distorts it so much that they don't become afraid of it. That means that they are, uh, they're not blowing, they're not running away, they're not, uh, and, and I think a lot of the, the, the big issue that I've seen is the blowing, right? Once a doe blows, catches your scent, downwind, she starts to blow and sometimes they blow forever and it's an indicator to the rest of the herd hey man don't come over here something's fishy let's not let's not come over here and it could ruin an entire hunt so what i will say is it distorts it they may be curious they may catch something but they're not blowing and thus giving you the opportunity to finish out your hunt and additional deer will come through it ha- it happens to me a lot because I put myself into a position where I'm cutting the wind really hard and I can be really aggressive in my wind setups with an Ozonics in the tree. Now, after the hunt's over, I go to my uh, my closet or my dry wash bag and I'm hanging all my clothes in there. I'm running a dry wash cycle. I go to bed, come back uh, in the morning. While I'm in the shower, I'm running another dry wash cycle, get dressed, go to the tree stand, and I feel invisible walking to the tree stand. So, uh, you know, just go to ozonicshunting.com, check out all of the units that these guys have. They have a, uh, you know, a, a different options, different price points for you to choose from. Uh, badass, functional, and uh, one of those products that I just, you know, if I don't have it, I feel naked, right? So uh, what's the discount code here? NFC21. NFC21 is going to get you a free dry wash bag with a purchase of uh, one of their units, whether that's a HR 300 or an HR 230, NFC21 free free dry wash bag with purchase of a unit, and then they also have a new um, uh, unit that plugs into your cigarette lighter and it circle uh, circulates ozone into your vehicle and uh, kind of cleanses the air in your vehicle as well. So, uh, ozonicshunting.com. Other than that, guys, that's the whore out portion of the show. That's how I make my money. I really appreciate you guys taking time to listen to that because it means a lot. And I do believe in these products. So uh, there's that. And what else are we going to do? We're going to get into today's episode with T.W. Norman about placement and timing of the hunt. It's a good episode, guys. So uh, listen to it all. Two, one. All right. On the phone with me once again, Mr. T.W. Norman. How are we doing, man? Hey, bud, I'm doing fantastic. It's always always a pleasure to hang out with you. Yeah, you still doing the Lord's work? I'm still doing the Lord's work, man, every every day, every day, in it to win it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a commitment, right? 
Yes, sir. It's a, it's, it's a calling. It's a, it's, it's greater than a, than a commitment. It's a calling. I say, cause a lot of times, man, uh, whenever frustration comes, I, I say, uh, when frustration builds, a calling will keep you. And, uh, you know, whenever everything else will try to get you to run. Yeah. So whenever there's a calling, you'll, you'll stay in it, man. So, uh, so this is a calling. I, th- I think I've mentioned this, um, I don't know if it was to you. I've had other preachers on the uh, on the podcast before, but yeah. uh, I was uh, in with my church youth group back, you know, back in the day. And, uh, you know, uh-huh. my, my mom had me come into Sunday school every, you know, every Sunday by, you know, by force. But when I was there, I was participating sure. freely and, all, and, you know, all that yeah. stuff. And so my whole high school, I was in uh, I was in the the youth group and we would run. Uh, the, the, I think it was like one Sunday a month, the youth group, the, the senior youth group would actually run uh-huh. the service. And, oh, uh, wow. yeah, so we had, uh, what was it? Uh, one of the preachers approached me and they asked me if I would be interested in going to seminary school, uh, to become uh, a preacher. And yeah, I, I, I said to them, you know what, that is very interesting. But at that point in my life, you know, you're 18, you don't even know what you're doing yet yeah. with the rest of your life. Yeah, that's and, right. And I was like, I am a hypocrite. Like, I can't go up in front of somebody <laughs> and tell them, you know, hey, you got to be good. You got to do these things. Meanwhile, on the weekends, I'm doing everything opposite of what the right. you, you know you know what i mean and uh it took me sure. a lot of years to straighten myself out to find yeah. I, I guess a balance so to speak yeah right right well i think that's you know the one thing that we you know we we all come to come to terms with is that man it's not anything that we can really do in and of our own strength right it's right. like I, I say man passion and uh passion and love will will cause you to do things that, that discipline won't. And it's like, you know, whenever we're passionate about something, you know, especially if it's, you know, what the, you know, our, our desire to follow the Lord, it will empower us to do what we can't do in our own strength. And that's really what happens whenever his grace touches our life. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just, it's, it's totally different at that point. Right. Cause whenever we're trying to be good, that's usually whenever we mess up. <laughs> yeah. But whenever we're, whenever it's coming from a place that's outside of what we can do on our own, that's grace. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what he supplies to us. That's, yeah. Uh, that's good stuff, man. So, self-admittedly, I am not necessarily religious. I don't go to church every Sunday. Um, I'm uh-huh. more of a, I guess what you would call a spiritual type person. I believe if yeah. you do good things to other people that in return, you know, you, you put out the most positive energy that you can in this world and positive energy will come back and find you. And that's, yeah. that's kind of how I live my life. So w- this question just popped into my head and I want to see how you answer it from a whitetail perspective. Okay. We, we right. have a almost like in, in the whitetail world, there's a group of us that are like very positive, right? Okay, good job. You mm-hmm. shot a spike. Congratulations. Good job. Awesome. Yeah. You know, awesome. Uh, whatever. Then on the other side of the fence, we have groups of people who just shame and hate mm. the success of others. What What are your thoughts yeah. from what you do for a living and maybe translate that over into the social media, a white tail or, or, or hunting community? 
Man, I've, you know, I've, I've thought about that, um, not necessarily in the framework of that question, but I'm, I'm, I find myself personally totally in that first group where it's, uh, um, it's all about I celebrate the experience that you've had in, in the woods. So, you know, when I'm listening to your podcast and you're, you're giving updates on your season and, you know, you've been grinding hard and you're, you finally connected with the mature deer that you've been chasing, man, I'm celebrating with you. I'm like, yes, I'm the way to go, Dan. Yeah. And if it's a buddy of mine who, man, he is, he just, he sends me a picture of a six point that he killed. And, and he said, well, it's just a six point. I say, you stop it right there. Exactly. That is an awesome harvest. You said, don't, don't believe the lie. Right? And that's, and that's it right there. Like there's this whole, the, the shamers out there, they perpetuate a lie that if we don't have a 150 inch deer, then, then we should, we, we shouldn't even share a picture of it on Facebook. And that's ridiculous. It's like, man, the, the truth is right. So even, so you're asking for the coordination or the correlation between even what I do in the church and in the, in the, the hunting world, man, I think that just like a lot of people are deceived in their life by, by the enemy, I, I think, man, people get deceived from social media and the, the shamers, the, 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 hunting, the hunting shamers out there that want to make people feel like what they've done isn't enough whenever, man, we need to be celebrating, right? The truth is we need to be celebrating this gift that we have of the outdoors yeah. and whether that is a spike or whether that is a 180 inch monster that is your absolute dream. And so I'm, I'm totally with you, bud. It's like, get out there, enjoy what God has created and don't be ashamed. Don't let anybody talk you into the deceptive lie that you need to be ashamed of what you've harvested. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, man. I, and, and, and pardon my language here. There's just so much bullshit that I get frustrated uh, with on a yearly basis watching whether it's the shame um, that I'm, let's say, like uh, a person would be bringing on another or another person feels shame for what they've harvested because it doesn't compare with what, right. quote unquote, industry standards are. And that yeah. is in my goal, in my in the Sportsman's Nation entire network, my goal is to uh, like wash that out. I want I want that yeah. good, that positive vibe message, you know, hey, shoot what makes you happy message to be so loud. People don't care about inches anymore. That's it. That's it. You know, and that's, that's ultimately, I think that's we're we're obviously facing a, an unfortunate decline in this sport that we love with numbers every single year. And I have to think that some of that is coming back to this, like this immeasurable standard of success yeah. that so many people have placed on others yeah. where it's like, well, if I, if, if I can't kill a 140 inch deer or 150 inch deer any, you know, every single year, well, I'm not, I guess I'm not a good hunter. I guess I'm not like Bill who's, you know, all over social media, who's doing it every year. I guess I'm just going to give up. Yeah. And, you know, it's like we've, for so many people, we've lost sight of really what this is supposed to be about. And if that doesn't change, if the narrative doesn't change, I don't think that we will, that we'll ever see the rebound that we know needs to happen because if there's not a rebound, I wonder how much longer with the way the world is going with the way the U S is going, if there's not a good rebound in, 
and hunter participation and people getting excited again about, you know, harvesting a six point or a doe or whatever it is. And that message isn't received and championed, man, we are going to have a hard time with the backing that it's going to take to fight against possible legislation that's going to be coming anti-hunting groups, their strength in numbers. And we are not doing each other favors by, by, by taking jabs at one another in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Whether, no, whether it's the size of the animal, the way you're pursuing it, you know, with what weapon you're pursuing it, or anything like that. It's like we need to come together around what unites us. And, man, leave the things that separate us, leave it alone, yeah. and just move together in unison. Amen. And there you go. Uh, now let's talk about big bucks. <laughs> All right, that sounds good too. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> that's like that's a hard transition because you had one hell of a year last year, go. man. Uh, you had a really good year out there um, on the on the landscape. This this is all from the twenty twenty season, right? It is. Yeah, okay. there, there there was a few good things that happened in twenty twenty. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so placement and timing, okay. These are two things yeah. that you know, in this message that you sent me, you're like, Hey man, I had, I had a really great year this year. I, uh, you know, I harvested four different bucks in three different States and you know, I think I owe a lot of it to placement and timing. All right. So let's get high level real quick. And I want you to talk yeah. to me about in, in your opinion, what does placement and timing mean? Well, I think it, yeah, I think it just like what you're saying, the high level, the macro into the micro, and we can discuss that the, the micro portions later, but the macro version of the placement, I think is understanding first and foremost, it begins with your place. Where are you hunting? Right? So success, it's going to be where you, where you hunt. So if it's, you know, your land in Iowa, or if you're hunting in Alabama, first and foremost, you have to look at your place. And from that, you have to develop realistic expectations and goals for your place. And so placement begins with the place that you hunt. And we know I've heard it said on, on your, on your podcast, on the wired to hunt podcast, and probably, you know, through all the magazine publications and different articles that we've read, we all know that you can only have expectations for what is reality in the, in the place that you hunt. And so success correlated with placement begins with the place that you hunt. If you're, I've got friends in Alabama that tell me every year, if I see 120 inch deer, that is a slammer for where I live in Alabama. And there's no way I'm giving it a pass. And I'm like, well, buddy, you better not give it a pass. So in that place, that deer, that is for, for their goals, that's success. And so I think it begins with the place that you're hunting. And then the timing is both the time of the year, the timing, you know, you can even macro micro that down the timing of, of the month, you know, with the cold fronts, but it's also the right time spent in the stand. So really high level placement is the place that you hunt and the timing of the year, timing of the season and the time that you spend in the stand. And then, like I said, we can micro that down into really fine tuning both of those things to lead to greater levels of, su- of success, I believe. Yeah, that's great, great points there. Um, and I think what you say there as far as placement, knowing your place, knowing the farm that you hunt holds a lot of weight mm-hmm. because I think what happens yes. is people bring in 
So they listen to this podcast or they listen to another podcast or they, they listen or read an article that some quote unquote big wig wrote or, or says, and they look at the actual task that this person went through the steps that that person went to, to harvest an animal when they should be looking at the principles and trying to apply those principles to their place their farm and and work through the scenario that way and not take everything so literal like hey i have to be in this part and do this at this time and do this because this guy did it well no you need that needs to be adjusted to your your place your farm your terrain your the state the the whatever right so yeah absolutely so when it comes down to let's just kick off the 2020 season right um uh, mm-hmm. what states, what states did you draw or what states did you go to, uh, this past year? Yep. I, I live in Illinois. So I, uh, you know, my home state of Illinois is where I do the majority of the, my whitetail hunting. I went down to a uh, friend's friend's place in Oklahoma, uh, at the end of, uh, towards the end of November. And then I finished up my season in Iowa during second shotgun season. Okay. All right. So um, you, you had kind of a busy schedule there. And Illinois was Illinois is a two tag state, right? Correct. It is. Yes. OK. All right. So um, going into the 2020 season, you know, kind of sticking with this placement and timing type uh, conversation that we're having here. What did you do to prepare yourself for this upcoming for the upcoming 2020 season that you knew you had to do or maybe you were doing but didn't know how much it was going to help you yeah that's 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 good i for me this year it was about investing in my place so the the places that i hunted um this would have been the third year this was the no, I'm sorry. This will be the third season. So last season was the second year that I was hunting a, uh, a new farm. So, um, this was my second year hunting this farm that I began to hunt, of course, the year before, um, it's about this particular farm is about, it's close to a 500 acre piece. It's all, it's all right together. And, you know, whenever you're, when you're jumping in a new piece for the first time, it's like every sits an observation, you know, even if you feel like you're honing in on the correct placement, it's really just an observation because you're hoping that this move is confirming, you know, what you think or what you've seen, you know, I think you, you see something once and then you, you make a move and you really make the move to see or to confirm if what you've seen is actual, you know, if you're going to continue to see it. So year two, this year for me was, I, I went into it saying, man, I'm going to invest in this place. I'm going to invest in the placement of what I'm doing here. And I did so by, um, you know, really taking time to, to study maps. You know, I spent a lot of time on Onyx and, and also, you know, looking at topo maps, getting in there, you know, during shed season, you know, last year. And, and I, I love, I love, love, love scouting during shed season it, it it messes up my shed hunting a lot because Same. I'm, I'm supposed to be looking for <laughs> antlers and i'm just <laughs> but but you know i i really i hammered hard um just scouring every inch of uh, this farm during shed season before you know uh, to the end of 2019 and and so that's really where it started 
learning the the places that I couldn't dive into the year before, but really getting that bigger picture. You know, what what does the bedding area look like? How are they moving? What what's their transition patterns from bedding into the crop fields that they're coming into? So I did a lot of studying, and that prepared that helped prepare um, just even my mind and to help me to get a mental plan before I started putting things into place. And, and so, you know, studying the land, scouting, really, really, really in-depth scouting. And then, then I started putting in the work and, you know, so part of the placement I think is, you know, knowing your place, but investing in your place. Yeah. Now, once I kind of got the framework of how I noticed the, the deer movement, there's the, the flow of the transitions that the deer were making. The first thing I did was, you know, the farmer and I talked, the, the landowner and I talked and, you know, and we put a game plan for the food plots that I was going to put in. Um, and one of the things that really helped me this year was the first year I hunted it. Again, I didn't really know much about how deer were moving, exactly how they were moving out of the bedding, where they were coming into. So I, I had food plots placed in, but this year I was able to adjust those food plots to actually put them in the position where deer are naturally going to be coming into the food plots on their way to the grain fields. Whereas, uh, as opposed to the year before where I was putting food plots out to try to attract deer to my area, to the places where I thought would be good, this year I was really able to fine-tune and move my food plots into the areas that deer were naturally going to be coming through, coming through in essence, making it just a really big super funnel. Yeah. And so it really, even that, even that, that investment of my time into my place made a huge difference yeah. in the overall success and the amount of opportunities that I would have. But that came from investing in the place that I yeah. was, that I was working towards. I'll and tell then, you, you know, stand places, of course, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I just want to elaborate on what you said right there. I got a buddy, Tom Peplinski, and he's here in Iowa with me. And that dude is crazy about what he calls these kill plots or these micro plots, right? He, mm. he said, he said to me, don't try to compete with a giant ag field, right? Yeah. All yeah. you have to do is find a place with great access where the deer are already moving through and put this exactly. food plot here just to slow them down. They pop up. It's a, it's a, it's a shot opportunity basically is all you're creating. Exactly you're not, right. you're not necessarily creating uh sustainable food source for the entire winter or whatever but mm -hmm. uh and he's he's got a lot of success doing exactly what you just said yep and that's and it, it it's it's a proven thing i mean you know, obviously with with your friend you know with with me as well and, and we all know just the man the the power of a a supple green uh food source for a deer on their way to on their way to grain because it doesn't matter how great our fall blends are that they're not going to stay in a fall blend all night. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're going to go to the cornfield, to the bean field where, and then they're going to make their way back through. But if you have that, if you have that palatable food plot that can just funnel them through, they're going to stop and take a bite. I yeah. mean, that's just, that's just what they're going to do. They, you, you give them options deer. I mean, I, I, I feel are kind of like us. If we, if we go to a, uh, a buffet, we're probably going to try things on the way to the fried chicken. Yeah. That, you know, that if all there was was fried chicken, yeah, that's the, that's the goal. But boy, if I come across some, some green beans with some just good old bacon strips in there, I'm, I'm probably going to stop and get that too, yep. just because it's good and it's available.
And yep. that, that's kind of how I look at the, the, the food plots on the way to the, uh, the big ag fields. Yeah. They just come through. So any, anything that was really eye awakening, uh, from that food plot standpoint, I mean, from creating those, those food plots, uh, in those high traffic areas. Yeah. Yeah. And so this kind of comes back to the, the placement of, of the food plots, but also the placement of, uh, the blinds and, and also this helped with timing as well. It just kind of all came together on this. What I found whenever I was able to move the food plots and, and position them, just like we've been talking about, it actually, I think, enabled me to spend more time hunting than I typically would have because it, it limited the disturbance that I had, um, that I had in the past because I wasn't having to, to dive into the woods or to get too deep. I was able to really spend my time hunting the fringes and waiting for the right time to dive in and waiting for the right time to possibly, you know, disturb, disturb the deer, you know, the closer we got to the rut. So I feel like I got to hunt more, more often because my disturbance of the animals, uh, you know, of the wildlife was decreased a lot because I started hunting out of uh, elevated box blinds this year. I got some elevated box blinds and uh, put them on some trailers that I could move around. And I've been, I was just able to slide in and slide out without any, without, with very minimal disturbance to, to the deer. And so I never felt like I was really hunting pressured deer. Although I was pressuring them, they didn't know they were pressured. And so being able to put these food plots where they needed to be, it also gave me access to, to hunt while minimally disturbing the wildlife. Yeah. So that was a huge eye opener for me. I wasn't having to go to the deer. I was hunting in a way that the deer were naturally coming to me. Yeah. And then by the time they were passed, I, I didn't have to worry about busting or boogering anything. I would yeah. just make my way back out. And yeah. it was a, just a smooth operation this year. So, you know, a lot of guys have these, uh, giant food plots, right? They put that box blind right in the middle of it and they hunt mm-hmm. in any wind direction. So with yeah. something with natural deer movement kind of coming through, knowing that the food plot you're hunting is not that end destination for these animals, how important was you to, um, really, and you can talk about this on the micro level now, uh, talk, uh, about, tree stand placement, access routes, and, and how you are going to hunt these places on different wind directions. Yeah, so how my particular farm in Illinois is set up is I've got some big timber pieces surrounding my the ag. So like my, my farm that I hunt is primarily ag field with, uh, with creek, creek crossings, creek drainages through it. So just nice natural pitch points with some um, some heavier timber on the west side that connects two big pieces of timber but there's a lot most of the food the crop fields are on the farm that i hunt and and it's rolling it's rolling crop fields um a lot like what you know you you see a lot in southwest iowa and so it, it reminds me of where i where i lived and hunted in the southwest iowa area but being able to have a farm that's set up to hunt the prevailing winds, which typically here are going to be a, you know, a, a north or have some west or some south and west. You know, we, we get some east winds, but 
you know, we have normally a west of some sort with, uh, and of course, the north to south. And so, and that lays out perfect for, for the farms that I'm hunting in or the farm that I'm hunting in particular. And I'm able to, to just follow these, these creek lines because most of the deer are bedded in these, in these thicker bedding areas that are off of my property. And they're, they're coming from neighboring properties into mine. And so I didn't, I didn't ever have to worry about busting a single deer ever when I came in this year. Now comes back to timing as well. I wasn't, even though I felt like things were set up better this year for intrusion and minimal invasion, of course, I'm still very cautious about my approach and wind direction specifically, because there are so, there's a lot of deer, deer densities are very high on this farm that I'm hunting, but I know where they're bedding now. And I've really kind of honed in on that, you know, as long as I was intentional to be using the wind to my advantage, especially on my entry route, I'm telling you, I, I, thankfully, I never busted a deer the entire season. And whenever I was, when I was entering the, uh, entering to my, my stand placements, yeah. just because I, I knew where the, I know where the deer are bedding. I know the right way to approach. And, and it just, so access is key. And we both know that we've all, we've read the articles we've seen, we've seen the videos that tell us that, but if you can set yourself up placement, right, if you can get your place set up and your stand placement set up to where there is minimal invasion, but you can get into your stand without messing things up. You're, you're set up for murder in the best possible way. Yeah. Did you have to tweak that at all uh, last year, like move your blind or move tree stands or, or anything like that because um, something wasn't perfect in a scenario like that? And how did you do that? So, yeah, actually, there was one one stand in particular, and I did I did move um, I did move a blind, but not not because my access wasn't wasn't set up the best that it could, but I just noticed again, just being the second year that I hunted the farm, I'm still learning, and so as I was hunting, I was noticing on the southwest corner of this of this farm, man, this there's kind of a oh kind of a horseshoe that goes into the woods. And I noticed that all these, that the majority of the deer that were making their way out to, out to the ag field while I was hunting another food plot, even more deer were coming out of this kind of horseshoe that was in the corner of this field. So I was able to, so I made an adjustment, pulled my blind over there and set up. And that was a, just a real easy one, but a different, a more difficult one um, that I noticed what came in, uh, came at the end of October. Yeah, at the end, of, I usually don't get into the timber until, you know, October 26th or 27th, somewhere like that Then before I, before I really feel like I can make a move in, into the timber at all. But this was the late October and I was hunting again, kind of the edge, but I could see into the, into the woods about a hundred yards. And as I'm looking through the woods, I'm seeing these, I'm seeing just the legs of deer, you know, the, the leaves have started to fall. And the way that they're transitioning on this ridge, on the ridge, which is different than I thought they were. I, I thought they were going to be, I thought they were bedded further back and they would be coming more directly towards me. But what they were doing was from the bedding area, they were filtering north, working and feeding on some wide oak, you know, some, some wide oak acorns that have dropped. And then they were working south on this ridge. And I could just see, you know, glimpses of deer moving along this, the, 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 the saddle of this ridge just right down the about halfway up there's a bench in the, in the ridge 
And so I told my buddy who I was hunting with, I said, we got to get a stand right up in here. And so we, that next morning, early in the morning, after, after our hunt, we transitioned the ladder stand right up there and absolutely ended up being a killer, killer placement. Once we got up there and just found, found exactly where they're moving. I mean, it was absolutely wore out and it proved to be true. We just, we were all covered up in deer every single time. We only went, we didn't hunt it a lot. We hunted it three or four times. And every single time we were absolutely covered up and deer were doing exactly what they did the very first time we saw it. So I think being able to have observed movement and then make an immediate move again, puts you in position for success yeah. in the right place. Yep. Absolutely. Did you ever, did you have to lay off at all because of wrong wind directions? The, thankfully there's in that, at that farm that I'm hunting, there's not really a wind An east wind is not great. So I know if there's a, of course an east wind isn't really good for any of us. Right. <laughs> but, but thankfully if I have any sort of north wind or any sort of south wind, I've got places I can hunt on that farm. And, and so wind is not really, doesn't really affect whether or not I'm going to hunt. It just affects where I will hunt on that farm. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. So, the next step out of all this is, you know, the food plots, the stand placement, the, you know, kind of putting all of the pieces of the puzzles together and including the scouting that all went down. It's, it's all led you to everything that you've done and now it's time to hunt. Okay. Now hunting season is here and this is kind mm-hmm. of what, what I'm assuming timing comes into play. Explain in, on a little bit more detail when you said to yourself, okay, I have everything ready. The foundation is set for this season. Now I need to focus on the timing. Yep, that's exactly right. And I think that you're, the, the way you're saying that is exactly right. That, you know, whenever, you're, whenever you have the place, whenever you've invested in the place, and you, you have things set up in the right place for your placement, now it just comes down to time. And the first thing that, that – that I want to just quickly touch on is quality of time versus quantity of time. And, and I think that as for a lot of us, I, I know myself anyway, and I, I definitely don't have this, you know, everything all figured out. I'm, I'm, I'm still learning. I, I love listening and, and reading to, to try to become a better, a better woodsman, a better outdoorsman, a better whitetail hunter. But one thing that I do feel like I've learned uh, just through a whole lot of, trial and error is the importance of quality time. Uh, when I was younger, it was all about being out there. I was out there, whether it was 85 degrees in September, whenever I lived in, in Missouri, um, in you know, a straight East wind. I mean, I was just, I was just out there no matter what, because it was all about how often I could be in a tree stand as I've gotten older. You know, and then of course, you know, you get family and you get responsibilities and you realize every time you're in a tree stand, you're away from your family. And so, you know, you want to make your, your hunts the most quality that you can. And so, so now I am focused, I am solely focused on quality sits. I don't waste time. And I, I say it's wasted. You know, if you're, if you're, a, if you're one who just, you know, wants to be in a stand, then that's not wasted. Right. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. You know, I'm, I don't want, want to pressure anybody to hunt my way, but each of us have to find the way that works best for us. And for me, 
coming back to this reality that I want to make sure that my sits are the greatest quality that I could possibly have. So I think that's the biggest thing with time that we, that we need to understand is that there are times in the stand that will be greater of a greater benefit than other times. So in October, I'm, I'm looking for those cold fronts in October, those cool fronts. We, we, you know, everybody who knows, I mean, everyone listening understands the importance of early cold fronts, cool fronts, but that is a killer time. And if I'm burning out my stands before that killer cold front coming in, well, then I'm, then I'm not investing the right type of time in the stand that I want to be in. And so I need to be intentional to wait for the quality for the time because quality time is the right time. I'm not just going in there to, to burn time in a stand. So that's first and foremost is let's find the quality sits that are going to put me in the position for all of the scouting and everything that I've worked up to this point to hopefully come to pass. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so now give examples here of the timing, right? Talk about in mm-hmm. your head, like, was it a, Hey, I'm going to monitor trail cameras type scenario. Was it, was it a, um, only on cold fronts type scenario? Was it a, I'm going to dedicate 10 straight days of hunting type scenario. What was the, the plan going into that? Well, for my time in Illinois, it was both trail cameras and weather, weather front related. And that was the, the main thing I was focusing on. I, I run a lot of trail cameras. I, I, I don't want to say that I know all the deer that are, you know, frequenting the properties I hunt, but I have a really good inventory of the deer that I'm pursuing. And so I'm, I'm checking my trail cameras, but so I'm, I'm looking for daylight movement. I'm looking for when deer are becoming more daylight active early in the season where they have a higher propensity to naturally be on a daylight pattern. Um, that's really where I'm honing in on the timing for those early season cool fronts. You know, as October is coming in, deer are still on those early season feeding patterns. But if it's warmer, the daylight movement, we all know, is suppressed. There's, there's suppressed daylight movement. But with that also being said, because I have so much thick bedding right around my food plots and uh, the food sources that I'm hunting, I, I feel like I have an advantage because the bedding is so close to the food, to the feeding areas that I have. And so I will have a lot, of, a lot more daylight movement than, than a lot of people just because of the, uh, the, the proximity that the bedding area is to the food sources that these the deer are feeding. So I'm going to rely on my trail cameras telling me, Hey, is this, is this buck still, still feeding in daylight? And if he's gone, if he's going nocturnal, then I'm going to wait. That's whenever that, that cool front is really going to, to, to engage him to get up and to, to move a little earlier. And that's definitely when I'm going to be there. Now, as I'm moving through the season, as we get closer to the rut, the end of October, and of course into November, now timing is, it comes from, it goes more into, from a quality time into, at this point, I think that there is a quantity of time switch. And so I, I, I call that the, the, the quantity switch whenever you're coming into November, because at some point, if you have, so now we're combining the placement and the timing. If you've worked, if you've scouted, if you've invested 
into into your property in you know your time and your work to get stands in the right places to get your blinds set up correctly in the rut i i firmly believe that quantity of time in the right place will lead to more kills than anything more more harvest i believe come from quantity of time with the in, in the right place than anything else i mean i i don't know about you dan i am the like I am not a lucky hunter. Do, do, do you know anybody who's really a lucky hunter? My, my brother's one of them. I mean, it, it, it drives me crazy. I am not. I, I'm not a lucky hunter. I've, uh, I, I have to typically work pretty hard yeah. to, to make anything happen. And so what I have found is that if I can be diligent to get my place ready, to get my everything, to get my stands in the right place, at that point, come, come whenever the bucks are cruising, now it's back to quantity. I need to be in the stand. And I'm not going to be jumping around a whole, whole lot, especially if I've come into an area that trail cameras show me that there's a good buck in an area, a good mature buck in an area, and I know the stand is in a good place. Now it comes down to hunkering in and spending a quantity amount, you know, a good quantity of time in that stand. Because, you know, success, I think, in during the rut comes back to, being in the stand yeah. as long as you can, as often as you can. Yeah. And I think that's really the success for rut hunting. Yeah. So y- your, your strategy there, as far as time kind of changes as the uh, season goes on, like preseason, it's calculated strikes based off potential weather patterns or fronts or trail camera Intel. And then as we get into this breeding season where the deer movement picks up, it's all about blanket blanket time in this in right. in the tree stand yes absolutely okay. and not and, and again coming back to placement i you know i, I i'm not going to spend you know an all-day sit on a field edge in november right. um you know I, I i'll sit i'll still sit an edge you know if they're you know if if i'm getting the intel that's telling me you know, because especially early rut, you know, that pre-rut phase, late October, early right. November, those bucks are coming into the fields, really checking for does. But we start getting into November, you know, 4th through the 12th through the you know, 14th. I'm, I'm going to be in the woods at, you know, on these pinch points, on these on these ridge on these ridges, you know, that, that I know deer are traveling and I'm going to be buckling in and. And I'm just going to be patient at this point. Patience, patience kills deer. Yeah. And I, and I, I think that that's probably something that a lot of people who have a lot of success in the woods are patient people, yeah. people that can just set in and say, I know, I know that eventually if I'm here, eventually there is going to be a good deer that comes through here. And the key is being there when he does. Yeah. So Talk to me a little bit about this, the, this again, because when we talk about uh, timing and placement, especially when we're talking about blanket, like blanketing uh, a stand or maybe a, a series of stands, how do you go into that knowing that uh, there could, there's going to be wind shifts, there's going to be weather factors, there's going to be um, the potential of y- you, your access route or your hunt being compromised by getting busted, whether you're in the stand or after you've left the stand. Yeah. The, so for me, and again, I, I think we all just try to, 
uh, like you, you said it earlier, we try to apply the principles that we've learned along the way. And, and for me, uh, yep, wind is always first and, uh, first and foremost importance. You know, what, what the wind is doing will dictate um, a lot of success and failures in the woods. But I've also learned that a lot of what we, a lot of the, the wind talk and, and what we know about the wind, although it's still important, it is of less importance whenever bucks have lost their minds chasing does. Yeah. And, and so like I, I, you know, I've had friends that if they're sitting in a stand and all, all my, you know, all of a sudden there's a, there's a wind swirl and their and their wind blows in the wrong direction. Then they just get all sorts of frustrated and zipped up, tie everything up, let down and they bust out somewhere else. I'm not quick to move. Whenever, if there is a, if there's a, if there's a shift in the wind, if I'm in, if I'm in the right spot, because I can't tell you how many times in the rut during November that deer have come in from places that I thought they would never come in from. It's oftentimes that whenever I'm sitting in a place where I know the wind is good from, I still have bucks come in downwind of me. And because there, I, I don't think that they are moving with a whole lot of, in a, a whole lot of intention of, you know, early and late, it's all about food and safety, food and safety. Well, now they have one thing on their mind and they are way more concerned about finding their next girlfriend than they are about eating. They're way more concerned about staying, staying connected to the girl that they found. You know, they'll do crazy things if they're, if they're on a doe. And when a buck is on a doe, a doe will do crazy things to get away from them. And so I think that it's in this time where, where bucks are running that I don't want to say you throw caution to the wind, but you can get a little more dangerous with your placement, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I will, especially if uh, a deer, like a buck is on a doe, I agree. Right. They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll do dumb things. They'll make mistakes. But when like, what, what about the scenario where the buck comes in by himself? Uh, or he's he's trying to get from point A to point B, and it just like it it doesn't look like it's going to end well for you. Yeah, at that I mean at that point I mean if if you're already in that situation, it's probably not going to end well for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so if they're already in that position where they're where where it's you know where the wind is blowing wrong and they're just and, and they don't if they don't have a doe and they're not on one it's probably not going to be fantastic. You know, I, I'm never going into a situation looking, uh, you know, regardless of, of the wind, you know, but I, what I'm saying is if I go into a place and the wind is right, I'm not going to just bail on it. If it, if it isn't, if it doesn't stay perfect, Yeah. because oftentimes I think that a less than perfect wind for me, can be even more ideal for the deer. Yeah. And as long as it's not absolutely just crazy wrong, I, I will roll the dice during that time in November. And a lot of times you can still, I mean, you can get, I, whenever you're careful, right. Whenever you're careful with your, with your, you know, washing your, washing your clothes, using your ozonics, you know, I, I like nose jammer. I'm afraid I'm a fan of nose jammer. You know, whenever we're putting all of these things together, I think there is enough 
out there that can help us just put a few more cards on our side of the table whenever, whenever we're, when we're doing these things. Again, I'm not, I'm not just throwing all caution to the wind and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm hunting this stand no matter if I know this wind is blowing right into a buck's nose, but I'm going to be a little more, a little more, I'm going to have a little more propensity to take a chance on my, on my key spots in during that time of the year. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So now, uh, so it, it's just about from that point, it's just patience, right? It's just waiting patience. for everything to un- unfold in front of you. What happens? Uh, you know, obviously this year you had a really good year, right? You stacked them up, but in a, let's say if the, the, the script was flipped a little bit and it was a struggle year mm-hmm. for, for you, how long are you giving some of these plots that you've put so much time and energy in uh, to until you start going off script and uh, making moves and throwing Hail Marys or, or whatever? Yeah, man, I am. I'm not. I'm probably not going to throw the proverbial Hail Marys to really, honestly, at all um, because. I, I really believe that if we have, if we've done our part and we know if we've, if we have all the information going in, going into it, I'm personally, I'm going to stick to the plan. I'm going to keep doing things the way that, that I, that I believe or that I know has worked for me. And, and I'm not going to deviate. Now that's not to say I'm not going to get frustrated <laughs> and, and I'm not going to, you know, try to uh, try to spend more time if needed but but I know just from what I've experienced in the in the past I have enough enough experience to know that it works and sometimes for whatever reason we just have a harder time having all the pieces align but I think it does come back to just do what you know I think it's whenever we we start doing what we don't know or we start taking you know these crazy chances. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, we all, we've all heard the stories about somebody who just threw caution to the wind and said, I'm going to go do this. And, and it worked, but I I have to think that is, that's more, that's more the exception than the rule. I think we have to come back to what we know is true and what we know works because, you know, because of the past success that we've had. And so I'm always going to, side on the rule not the exception if that makes sense it does so here i, I want you to talk to me man to man for a second and i want you okay, to i want you to tell me maybe cut, all right let me lay this out for you first i consider myself a mobile hunter i do a lot of moving throughout the year mm-hmm. right uh finding the fresh sign going uh to where the trail camera activity is the hottest um historical information all that stuff but over mm-hmm. the years last two to be specific, I almost feel like I'm too mobile. I'll go in, I'll set up and I am not giving an area enough time to produce the movement. And I'm, Mm -hmm. and I'm, and I'm like, I'm in, no, it's not here. Let's go next place in. Nope. Next place, next place, next place. Um, do you think, do you think that's an issue? 100%. Okay. 100%. I have, I've, I've, I've been the same. 
like literally, I, and, it, and it was my buddy who I do a lot of hunting with, you know, we, we filmed together and he's the one who's, he's, he's older than me. And, uh, and, uh, and I try to, I try to respect my elders. And he told me one time, he says, you need to slow down and let this play out because I'm, I, I was the same way. I'm like, cause I, I do have a tendency, like my nature is to uh, make it happen type of guy. Right. I'm like, I'm a Mr. Fix it. Let's, Hey, it's not working here let's go over to this other stand. You know, I I got a picture over there, let's go. And, you know, and so it was through, through my buddy, Rick, who's told me several years ago, you need to chill out and let it happen because we know, we know that there are deer here. We know this buck is in the area. Let's wait. And so I would say that was probably four or five years ago when we were hunting in Iowa. And, and that's really, I mean, that was kind of a changer for me. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Because, I think a lot of times just because, or, you know, and how many times has it happened? How many times have we bailed on a stand or bailed on an area that we knew a, a buck was frequenting and we went somewhere else and then we went back three days later and checked that card and over the last three days that we left that stand, that buck had come through there four different times. And, and, and we had that, if only I would have stayed here mentality you know that that kind of that wake up moment of like i should have just stayed but i was i was too quick to move and so that that changed for me i i think it it comes back to i if i believe i'm in the right place i've got to spend the time there i'm going to spend the time there until i am proven wrong that this is no longer the right place yeah and while at the same time you know there is the other side of that coin that if man, if your if your cell phone is is blowing up because Mister Big is is running through that pinch point on the other side of the farm, then you know maybe you make a move, but you have to weigh it out. So you know I think there's 100%. There are the benefits of being mobile, being able to pick up and go. But I, for me, again, how I hunt, I've I have found that the right placement in the right amount of time equals success more times than not yeah man that's something that i'm struggling with right now is that exact same scenario where i am so afraid to go back to the old dan johnson who sat in you know like five stands Mm. all year round i don't want i don't want to go back to that because i instantly saw when i when i would say my my transition to becoming mobile i ended Mm -hmm. up seeing more deer having encounters with more deer just like overall my success rate went up and mm-hmm. and i'm i'm afraid to go back to that scenario where the you know like the the encounters stop they slow down they do this you know like the doe groups don't come through or, or whatever that i i almost feel like i'm being lazy if i don't move right i'm slacking yeah. if i don't move but you're you're 100 percent right you got to give a place time to produce itself then make a decision so it's uh again it's about making the right decision at the right time yeah and and i think it comes back the other part of the time is the time of the year as yeah. well yeah you know i think that in your in your early season your early season that in my opinion early season is the time to be mobile yeah. that's the time to make your your moves based on observed movement when deer are on feeding patterns and you're you're seeing you're seeing movement somewhere else 
then or or you notice a a, a ridge that's just littered with with acorns well man that's a that's a quick move you can make that move but for me timing during the rut tells me deer are going to be moving bucks are on their feet more this time of the year than they are any other time and if i spend enough time in the right places eventually eventually fingers crossed lots of patience one of them are going to slip up and come by me when i'm in the right place yeah and and that's why I have to just make myself. I, I don't have a hard and fast rule that I'm going to spend three days in one in one spot. I, I, I you know, but if I'm in a place and I'm seeing and I'm seeing things happen and I know it's in a good spot, I'm I'm going to camp there until the and really I really it's more than anything until the the, the wind you know if if the wind ever just gets wrong for that place, then I'm going to move to my next place that I know is that is good that that I've spent time with and so like during my during my rut hunts that's whenever I am settling down and being patient early season I I am more mobile I'm I'm making my moves I'm hanging new stands I'm 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 getting new sets ready for for observed deer movement late season it's kind of the same thing I think you can hone in to to deer movement and patterns in the late season even early even better than you can in the early season and so you can be you can be more mobile in the late season based on observed movement. But timing of the rut, that's my time to hone in, settle in, and wait. Yeah, a lot of great points, man. Uh, so TW, I really appreciate you uh, uh, taking time today to hop on. Any final thoughts about uh, this? Uh, you know, this uh, timing and placement conversation that we've had. Yeah, I think um, just in a, if I was going to close it all together and put a bow on it, um, it would just be ultimately don't just for anybody who's just kind of in this place of they're, they're, they're figuring things out. And I think that you, you have to do that. You have to figure out the way that you hunt and you don't have to do it like, like, like Dan does. You don't have to do it like I do. Take the principles that are being discussed. You know, like Dan, your your podcast has so many you know great hunters on here that have great ideas. And if we can just take these little things, you know these these little things that if if someone listened to this podcast, they can listen to it. You know, we've been on here for an hour. If there's one thing that you said or that I said that they can take and put it in their in their bag in their repertoire, that's going to to help them have a better chance at harvesting whatever deer makes them happy. And let's go back to that. Whatever deer makes them happy, then that's what they should do. They don't have to copy anybody, but ultimately it does come back to, I think success is determined. Success happens whenever timing and placement come together. And so whenever we are intentional with our place and we are using you know, utilizing our place and the time, I think that it does lead to success in the whitetail woods. Yeah. So that's kind of my, my last thoughts and how I would, how I'd close this up, buddy. And there you go. And I think a uh, really good conversation today, to be honest with you. And I think it's one of those where the, I, it should motivate people, right. To get it done, to go out right yeah. now. That's hot. 
I mean, it is hot right now through in the United <laughs> States, and uh, but you gotta you gotta earn it, right? Get some of that sweat. That's um, right. Uh, go out. Sweat equity. Sweat equity. Absolutely. Yeah. Go find it because it does nothing but benefit you. It does nothing but benefit you. That's right. So, um, TW, appreciate your time, and uh, I know you had a great season this year, and I hope all that uh, that luck and success and and uh, hard work pays off into 2021 as well. Hey, thanks. I sure appreciate it, man. Appreciate all that you do for our community. Good stuff, Dan. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to uh, TW for coming on and chatting with us today. Uh, man, that that was a badass episode, if you ask me. Really enjoyed not only the bullshit up front, but the, uh, the strategy talk uh, of everything that we've done uh, throughout the entire year. So a huge shout out to him. Thank you. Each and every one of you for taking time out of your day, please go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, tell everybody else how badass this podcast is. Don't forget to share the How to Hunt Deer podcast that's coming to uh, iTunes on Wednesday and uh, keep an eye out for you know that on social. Make sure you're following on social and ins- uh, uh, Facebook and Instagram. And a huge shout out to Ozonics, Lone Wolf, Exodus, Wasp, Vortex, and uh, Hunt Stand. Uh, please go out and support the products that support this uh, the brands that support this podcast because without them I'm not doing this full time and uh, you guys aren't getting this badass content so thank you have a good one get outside uh, and I don't know what to say man keep the good vibes going out because good vibes will keep coming in and we'll talk to you next time